Good morning and welcome to the Brexit Day podcast. We are not going to hear the times of Big Ben after all, but at 11 o'clock tonight, the UK will finally leave the European Union. I'm joined today by a panel from the investment team here in London, each of whom has a particular geographical or sector expertise. We have Sheldon MacDonald, Jen Corston, Solomon Nevins, Mayank Markande, Nathan Sweeney, and Alex Byrne. Sheldon, I wonder if you could just walk us through the, the timeline of Brexit for this year. There's still plenty of unknowns. The first thing that we need to remember is that there is the possibility still for an extension. So far, the government is on record as saying they're not going to have an extension, but there is this possibility. If they do want to go for an extension, though, they have to do that. They have to apply by July. Assuming that doesn't happen, the timeline that the government has set for itself is to complete the negotiations by the end of December. That looks like a pretty tall order. On average, we've seen trade deals take something like 48 months. Usually those are trade deals where countries are moving closer together, not diverging from each other. So there is still a real possibility of a no-deal Brexit? There is. If we haven't negotiated something by the end of the negotiating period, what happens then is that we can crash out with no deal. At that point, then, we revert to World Trade Organization rules, which would imply tariffs and so on. The chances are that we probably won't get there. I don't think that's in anybody's interest to get there. So we probably will have some kind of a skeleton deal, which will be agreed and then will be fleshed out later. And perhaps a piecemeal deal whereby they focus on perhaps the most important, the most pressing industries, things like financial services, fisheries, things like that. But what we're seeing then, that looks like a picture where uncertainty will persist. And how does that really feed into financial market reactions, do you think, over the course of the year? As we all know, markets don't like uncertainty. Uncertainty equals volatility. And the currency, do you think, sterling? As we've seen since the Brexit referendum, it's all been playing out via the currency. As the prospects for a harder deal or no deal, or softer deal have moved, so we've seen the currency really reacting. So that's probably where we'll continue to see things play out. Ten, if I could just bring you in here, because there's been this clear relationship between sterling and the UK FTSE 100 index. Absolutely. I mean, as Brexit sentiment ebbs and flows, for example, any perceived lack of developments or potential deadlock on trade talks will see sterling taking the brunt. Mind you, though, a week sterling actually flatters large international companies' earnings, plus these types of companies tend to be more resilient in a downturn anyway. And what about if we look at a sector view? So utilities, actually, are one of the strongest year-to-date performers, post-election bounce and a defensive way to play domestics, but I am expecting some rotation over the year. For example, cyclicals could start to outperform depending on global growth. More international sectors, again, depending on what's happening globally. And then obviously sectors meeting or beating analyst estimates on earnings. We are going to come on to global growth. I think that's going to be quite a theme for this year. You mentioned more domestically focused, possibly the mid-cap areas. Well, actually, the mid-250s roughly split between international and domestic earners. Some growthy international platform-based companies have actually performed very well since the EU referendum, but many swathes of SMID and mid-caps have been shunned until the end of last year. Obviously, more domestic-focused mid-caps do need a stronger currency, but also better macro data and more business activity and improving sentiment will also support these smaller companies. We're actually starting to see signs of this picking up. Um, which is encouraging, and that's you could see as a sort of Boris bounce. Yes. Another thing, though, is the sell size expectations on earnings is also important for share price progression. And currently, analysts are a little bit more constructive on mid-cap earnings as opposed to large. But of course, this could all change over the year. We can now stick with the UK for a minute. We'll come to Mayank and we'll think about the gilt market. 
bond markets generally and guilt markets as well have rallied. So, you know, we started the year at take the 10 year in the UK at around 80 basis points. Now it's below 50 basis points. Not all of that is due to Brexit and, and growth in the UK. In fact, if anything, you know, we're seeing some positive signs there. It's more due to global concerns and coronavirus concerns. That's the action that we've seen in the UK rate space. So Bank of England left rates unchanged yesterday. How do you see their policy developing over the year? So firstly, in the market, start of the year was expecting the Bank of England to cut rates. So there was close to a 80% probability that they will cut rates in the first meeting of the year. I think that was a bit too much to ask for the Bank of England because, you know, Brexit is clearly unresolved. We've still got 12 months ahead. And really, after the Brexit vote that took place last year, didn't really make sense for the Bank of England to immediately make a change. They have to really wait and see in terms of improvement in the economy. And in fact, if we look at some of the forward-looking indicators, such as the PMIs, we've seen some improvement there in the UK. So the PMI numbers in manufacturing, in services, the composite numbers have come out a lot stronger than previous numbers of December. And that doesn't really equate to lower bond yields in the UK market. It doesn't, but PMIs are surveys. You know, there's a school of thought that, uh, you know, survey data, and correctly so, is quite volatile and responds uh, a bit disproportionately to political events, which may or may not have equivalent impact on the real economy. So the Bank of England really needs to wait for the hard data to materialise in the form of GDP growth for them to be fully convinced that you can either keep rates on hold as they've done now or increase interest rates. So pulling back from the UK for a moment, we had the Federal Reserve saying they're comfortable with rates where they are. Your thoughts on big central bank moves for this year and then we might ask some of the other panel to give their thoughts. So it's uh, important to keep in mind that the Federal Reserve cut interest rates last year. The impact of rate cuts is normally felt with a lag. So again, it's prudent for the Fed to wait and see what the impact of that easy monetary policy will be on economic growth, firstly. Secondly, the data in the US has been okay. You know, we've had moderate GDP, we've had inflation sort of edging towards the target, and there's been an easing of trade war escalation. All of these factors were playing up in terms of the Fed's decision in 2019 to mm. cut rates and it makes sense for them to be on hold for now. So any thoughts to add on the Fed? I think to a large extent the actions from the Fed will depend on how the trade negotiations proceed from here. Whilst the Fed clearly you know, claims to operate independently of the political environment, you know, when the president is causing growth pressures through trade negotiations, it's in a position where it needs to respond to that. And I think with um, the presidential elections in November, Donald Trump will be clean to emphasise to voters that they need to re-elect him if they want to see the US continue with its rebalancing of trade between the US and China. So I don't think that negative pressure on the US economy is going to disappear anytime soon, and the Fed may be inclined to respond to that through further easing. Nathan, any thoughts? Yeah, so just if we think about interest rates globally, central banks have been on hold, and a key consideration is obviously growth, as Saul mentioned. Uh, we have to take into consideration the coronavirus, and this can have a big impact on growth globally. So we definitely know it's going to impact growth within China. It could impact growth globally and in the US. So this is something that will definitely have to be considered by central banks as we get a lot more clarity on this and could be a driver or could impact rates going forward. And that could see rates being cut. Um, thank you for that. The, the other central bank worth a mention um, is the European Central Bank, which is currently undergoing a strategic review mm -hmm. of its monetary policy under the leadership of its new president, Christine Lagarde. 
and that may lead to an adjustment to further quantitative easing or lower interest rates. As throughout her tenure at IMF, she was very vocal about the need for central banks to do more and to support global growth. But not only for central banks to do more, but for governments to do more. So, so this is a fiscal stimulus. This is fiscal stimulus. We've been in a you know a protracted period of low rates. Central banks have provided lots of support to markets, and central bankers are starting to question the impact that that has had on growth because it has been so and subdued. And inflation. And inflation too, mm-hmm. exactly. There have been very strong calls for fiscal stimulus, so looking for infrastructure spend and tax cuts to be the next driver of growth. And one of the areas where that might be most evident is in fact the UK. So yes, the UK is clearly directly benefiting from that, as we've recently seen a commitment made to it, HS2, by the Chancellor. Yes, indeed. So 2020, we have the Brexit staging posts as we go through the year, but in the US, we mentioned earlier, the US election, that is very much a binomial event in terms of financial markets. Nathan, any thoughts there on the US equity market? Yeah, so I suppose it all depends on who wins the election. If it's a Democrat, then it's expected to be bad for markets because you could see increased taxes, you could see increased regulation, higher spending on healthcare. However, if a Democrat were to take control of the presidency, they would also have to control the House and the Senate to make any meaningful changes and then be able to pass them into law. So it's unlikely that that would be the case. So therefore, we're less concerned about markets at this point, but we would have to watch it and see how this develops as we move towards the election. But it's highly likely that you see volatility in markets as we get more clarity on who that Democratic nominee will be. So the focus really on the Democratic nominee. President Trump taking a lot of credit for the strength in the US equity markets. Yes, and he's definitely changed the traditional presidential cycle. So normally you would see good returns in the year of an election. But because of the big tax cuts we saw in early in his presidency, he kind of brought forward very strong returns for the markets. So it's kind of changed the landscape slightly. But what you should expect to see is that, you know, we have obviously signed a phase one trade deal in his presidency. Question marks on whether he will plough ahead with phase two before the election. That looks unlikely. You know, his key focus now is to try and do something on autos really quick. He would love to do a trade deal with the UK by the end of the year. But his focus will obviously clearly be on the election as that's coming up quite quickly. Using that um, the trade talks as an entry point, just thinking about the Asian markets, obviously we've mm. seen quite a negative impact over the last year. I think the, the two big market trends over the last year have been Serum Bank policy and how supportive it's been and what the trade war is doing. I don't think the effect of trade war on growth and on earnings has been huge. I think the much bigger effect has been on sentiment and things like company investment. Now that you've got some clarity on what it's going to actually look like, I think both of those things turn, which is what we've seen last year with the very strong returns. We saw very, very strong sentiment reversal. And you get the sense that, yes, a lot of these tariffs are still in place from the US side to the Chinese, but at least companies now have a sense of where it's moving in terms of there's going to be less growth that's filtered out outside of China and into Europe and into ASEAN and the rest of Asia. And it's more going to be a direct result between the US and China. They're going to be the two beneficiaries. So I think globally growth begins to concentrate more in those two economies and you get less kind of spill off into elsewhere. It's got a good effect for growth, but obviously it's more, as I say, it's more concentrated. You do get a more stable renminbi, which is one of the key concerns for markets last year. But one of the key things is that there's a lot of positivity already baked in. So how much return we get this year off the back of that, we obviously need to see a lot more positivity going forward. 
Nathan, any thoughts there? Yeah, so, you know, just in terms of returns, you know, if we look at markets, they do look expensive. So if you look at the US specifically, it looks expensive relative to history. But we have to remember that interest rates are at ultra low levels. So it is a new dynamic when comparing markets to history. So I think, in a sense, this does justify the high valuations that we have. And as long as central banks remain supportive, that is good for equities. Because if you think about fixed income, it's not an area where you can get attractive returns because bond yields are so low. So low, and so many negative yielding bonds. Exactly. The big Hi. question for me for this year is, is market going to focus more on fundamentals or going to be remain anchored to sentiment, as Alex was referring to? If we've seen the action in the markets in the last two years, they've been heavily driven by geopolitical events. And even if we look at this year, coronavirus, which is obviously a big concern, mm-hmm. you know, has really spilled onto the sentiment in markets in Asia, but also in the US and other developed markets. So obviously in the midst of a corporate earnings season in the US, which is doing well so far, and I think it'd be more prudent for the market to focus on, on fundamentals than be driven by a sentiment, but you know, it's really wait and see. At a tense moment when there's an impact, a potential impact for growth in very highly valued markets. Yes, and you know, you definitely saw how markets reacted at the back end of 2018 around concerns on recession and slowing global growth. So the market is very sensitive to slowing growth because we are in the 11th year Mm. of a expansion So the market will definitely be focused on growth and unfortunately coronavirus is likely to impact that. I'm going to ask Alex about European markets where valuations are not so high. Any thoughts there, Alex? They're not as high as they were. I think one of the key things is of interest to me in the European valuations is where there is some value. Cynicals have rallied significantly from last year, but they're still well towards the bottom end of the range that they were. There's still good value in things like high dividend yield and income. And the stocks that have done really well over the last couple of years have been not really high, but stable growth, quality, very forecastable growth. Those things were all at record highs about six months ago, and they've all come down. They're still very high for what they are, but they've still come down significantly from where they were. So any one of those three areas, I think, could still mm. do well in, in 2020. President Trump seems to have turned his sights on Europe. I think for me, I would have expected as you go into the election, those things kind of calm down. Like Nathan says, you might want to try and put some supportive policies in there for your election successes, but it doesn't really seem like Trump is a normal president. He's now turned his sights on Europe. How amenable the Europeans are to giving him a deal straight away, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. It's obviously a huge part of their own GDP, so it'll, nothing else, create a lot of volatility. I think given that they're quite close to the election, the Europeans might just wait and see who they get off the back of it, and if they get Trump presence, then deal with it then. There does seem to be some willingness for the Europeans to strike a deal. You know, we have to remember that they're dealing with battles on a number of fronts, whether it's Brexit on one side, mm-hmm. and the US trying to trade on the other, slowing growth in various different economies within Europe, uh, and also a lot of political difficulties in various different countries too. It's, you know, it's quite an unstable environment, so for them, having some certainly, i.e. through getting a trade deal done, will be positive. So they might actually try and do something. That's good incentive there. Coming back to the UK on that valuation point, Jen, because the market has been left looking really quite unloved and potentially quite cheap. Absolutely. There's no doubt that most areas of the small and mid-cap spectrum look at attractive value, and international investors are already beginning to take advantage. Thank you for that. More generally, it's also important to keep in mind the UK large cap index 
is dominated by cyclical companies. Mm. So firms exposed to the oil energy sector and commodity sector. So, you know, that obviously has a big impact on how the whole, at least the large cap index performs, um, as well as financials and banks. So depending on how cyclicals do and if growth eventually picks up, the UK economy and the UK equity market is quite levered to the global growth story. Indeed it is. And Sol, I was hoping to ask you about commodity prices and oil particularly, and then if you could give some thoughts on industrial metals. Yeah, so it's been a roller coaster ride for commodity investments. So they sold off uh, very aggressively through 2018, along with other risk assets around fears of a global slowdown. And they recovered a little bit through 2019. Oil recovered very strongly. But industrial metals had very muted returns through 2019, which really stood out against in a year where equities and bonds both did really well. So the concerns around manufacturing activity, industrial production, are still weighing on the industrial metals part of the market. And really, you know, this latest growth scare from the coronavirus epidemic is, you know, continuing to weigh on the view of lower manufacturing growth, certainly in China. Um, Copper price. Copper price in particular has been very, very weak this year. And whilst the equity market has been quite quick to recover around um, central bank stimulus and the potential for higher growth, I think until you start to see that um, higher demand actually feed through to purchases of copper and other industrial metals, you can seem to see quite soft pricing there. And demand very much usually for the oil price? Not only on the industrial uh, manufacturing side, but also in terms of um, demand from the airline industry. There's been a a huge reduction in the number of flights um, into China and within China. So demand for airlines for jet fuel will weigh on the overall oil demand picture and continue to tip the scales towards supply where we've seen huge increases in supply coming out of the US shale reserves. Indeed, so it looks like another interesting year ahead. I'm going to ask Sheldon to just summarise our thoughts. I guess for me, the summary is that there's plenty going on. There's lots to do on the Brexit front. It's not just around negotiating a trade deal. It's all around renegotiating our complete relationship with the EU. From politics to culture, security arrangements, immigration, everything. So much to do. Is there the danger of potential gridlock in Parliament? So even with the best will in the world, can they physically get all the the bills passed that they need to get passed? The HMRC needs to implement a new border in the Irish Sea. No small task for them either. Outside of Brexit, looking more globally, there's lots going on. Trade wars, the new front on the trade war with Trump taking aim perhaps at Europe. We've got other geopolitical concerns. We've got questions around whether there'll be elections in Europe this year. Plenty going on around the world. Lots for us to be concerned about. Potential for volatility, having had such a good period last year, looking at the potential for volatility, potential for a drawdown at some point. So for us, it's really the watching brief is to keep an eye on markets, keep an eye on what's going on, stay diversified, stay aware and stay alert. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.